Section 24 of The Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marsitich, Alexandria, Virginia, July 2010. The Elements of Geology by William Harmon Norton. Chapter 18 the devonian in america the silurian is not separated from the devonian by any mountain-making deformations or continental uplift the one period passed quietly into the other their conformable systems are so closely related and the change of their faunas is so gradual that geologists are not agreed as to the precise horizon which divides them. Subdivisions and Physical Geography The Devonian is represented in New York and southward by the following five series. We add the rocks of which they are chiefly composed. 5. Chimung, Sandstones and Sandy Shales 4. Hamilton, Shales and Sandstones 3. Coroniferous, limestones. 2. Oriskany, sandstones. 1. Helderberg, limestones. The Helderberg is a transition epoch referred by some geologists to the Silurian. The thin sandstones of the Oriskany mark an epoch when waves worked over the deposits of former coastal plains. The limestones of the Coroniferous testify to a warm and clear wide sea, which extended from the Hudson to beyond the Mississippi. Corals throve luxuriantly, and their remains, with those of mollusks and other lime-secreting animals, built up great beds of limestone. The bordering continents, as during the later Silurian, must now have been monotonous lowlands, which sent down little of even the finest waste to the sea. In the Hamilton, the clear seas of the previous epoch became clouded with mud. The immense deposits of coarse sandstones and sandy shales of the Kimung, which are found off what was at the time the west coast of Appalachia, prove an uplift of that ancient continent. The Kimung series extends from the Catskill Mountains to northeastern Ohio and south to northeastern Tennessee, covering an area of not less than a 100,000 square miles. In eastern New York, it attains 3,000 feet in thickness. In Pennsylvania, it reaches an enormous thickness of two miles, but it rapidly thins to the west. Everywhere, the Kimung is made of thin beds of rapidly alternating coarse and fine sands and clays, with an occasional pebble layer, and hence is a shallow water deposit. The fine material has not been thoroughly winnowed from the course by the long action of strong waves and tides. 
the sands and clays have undergone little more sorting than is done by rivers we must regard the Kimung sandstones as deposits made at the mouths of swift turbid rivers in such great amount that they could be little sorted and distributed by waves over considerable areas the Kimung sandstones bear little or no trace of the action of the sea the catskill mountains for example have as their summit layers some three thousand feet of coarse red sandstones of this series whose structure is that of river deposits and whose few fossils are chiefly of fresh-water types the kimung is therefore composed of delta deposits more or less worked over by the sea the bulk of the kimung equals that of the sierra nevada mountains to furnish this immense volume of sediment a great mountain range or highland must have been upheaved where the appalachian lowland long had been to what height the devonian mountains of appalachia attained cannot be told from the volume of the sediments wasted from them for they may have risen but little faster than they were worn down by denudation we may infer from the character of the waste which they furnished to the Kimung shores that they did not reach an alpine height the grains of the Kimung sandstones are not those which would result from mechanical disintegration as by frost on high mountain peaks but are rather those which would be left from the long chemical decay of siliceous crystalline rocks for the more soluble minerals are largely wanting the red color of much of the deposits points to the same conclusion red residual clays accumulated on the mountain sides and upland summits and were washed as orcarous silt to mingle with the delta sands the iron-bearing igneous rocks of the oldland also contributed by their decay iron in solution to the rivers to be deposited in films of iron oxide about the quartz grains of the kimung sandstones giving them their reddish tints life of the devonian plants the lands were probably clad with verdure during Silurian times, if not still earlier, for some rare remains of ferns and other lowly types of vegetation have been found in the strata of that system. But it is in the Devonian that we discover for the first time the remains of extensive and luxuriant forests. This rich flora reached its climax in the carboniferous and it will be more convenient to describe its varied types in the next chapter rhizocarps in the shales of the devonian are found microscopic spores of rhizocarps in such countless numbers that their weight must be reckoned in hundreds of millions of tons it would seem that these aquatic plants culminated in this period 
and in widely distant portions of the earth swampy flats and shallow lagoons were filled with vegetation of this humble type either growing from the bottom or floating free upon the surface it is to the resinous spores of the rhizocarps that the petroleum and natural gas from devonian rocks are largely due the decomposition of the spores has made the shales highly bituminous and the oil and gas have accumulated in the reservoirs of overlying porous sandstones invertebrates we must pass over the ever-changing groups of the invertebrates with the briefest notice chain corals became extinct at the close of the silurian but other corals were extremely common in the devonian seas at many places corals formed thin reefs as at louisville kentucky where the hardness of the reef rock is one of the causes of the falls of the ohio sponges echinoderms brachiopods and mollusks were abundant the cephalopods take a new departure so far in all their various forms whether straight as the orthoceras or curved or close coiled as in the nautilus the septum or partition dividing the chambers met the inner shell along a simple line like that of the rim of a saucer there now begins a growth of the septum by which its edges become sharply corrugated and the suture or line of juncture of the septum and the shell is thus angled the group in which this growth of the septum takes place is called the goniatite greek gonia angle vertebrates it is with the greatest interest that we now turn to study the backboned animals of the devonian for they are believed to be the ancestors of the hosts of vertebrates which have since dominated the earth their rudimentary structures foreshadowed what their descendants were to be and some give clue to the earliest vertebrates from which they sprang like those whose remains are found in the lower paleozoic systems all of these devonian vertebrates were aquatic and go under the general designation of fishes the lowest in grade and nearest perhaps to the ancestral type of vertebrates was the problematic creature an inch or so long of figure two ninety seven note the circular mouth not supplied with jaws the lack of paired fins and the symmetrical tail fin with the column of cartilaginous ring-like vertebrae running through it to the end the animal is probably to be placed with the jawless lampreys and hags a group too low to be included among true fishes ostracoderms this archaic group long since extinct is also too lowly to rank among the true fishes for its members have neither jaws nor paired fins these small fish-like forms were cased in front 
with bony plates developed in the skin and covered in the rear with scales. The vertebrae were not ossified, for no trace of them has been found. Devonian Fishes The true fishes of the Devonian can best be understood by reference to their descendants now living. Modern fishes are divided into several groups, sharks and their allies, dipnoans, ganoids, such as the sturgeon and gar, and teleosts, most common fishes, such as the perch and cod. Sharks. Of all groups of living fishes, the sharks are the oldest, and still retain most fully the embryonic characters of their Paleozoic ancestors. Such characters are the cartilaginous skeleton, and the separate gill slits with which the throat wall is pierced, and which are arranged in line, like the gill openings of the lamprey. The sharks of the Silurian and Devonian are known to us chiefly by their teeth and fin spines, for they were unprotected by scales or plates, and were devoid of a bony skeleton. Figure 299 is a restoration of an archaic shark from a somewhat higher horizon. Note the seven gill slits and the lappet-like paired fins. These fins seem to be remnants of the continuous fold of skin, which, as embryology teaches, passed from fore to aft down each side of the primitive vertebrae. Devonian sharks were comparatively small. They had not evolved into the ferocious monsters which were later to be masters of the seas. Dipnoans, or lungfishes. These are represented today by a few peculiar fishes and are distinguished by some high structures which ally them with amphibians. An air sac with cellular spaces is connected with the gullet and serves as a rudimentary lung. It corresponds with the swim bladder of most modern fishes and appears to have had a common origin with it. We may conceive that the primordial fishes not only had gills used in breathing air or dissolved in water, but also developed a sac-like pouch off the gullet. This sac evolved along two distinct lines. On the line of the ancestry of most modern fishes, its duct was closed, and it became the swim bladder used in flotation and balancing. On another line of descent, it was left open. Air was swallowed into it, and it developed into the rudimentary lung of the dipnoans and into the more perfect lungs of the amphibians and other air-breathing vertebrates. One of the ancient dipnoans is illustrated in figure 300. Some of the members of this order were, like the ostracoderms, cased in armor, but their higher rank is shown by their powerful jaws and by other structures. Some of these armored fishes reached 25 feet in length and 6 feet across the head.
They were the tyrants of the Devonian seas. Ganoids. These take their name from the enameled plates or scales of bone. The few genera now surviving are the descendants of the tribes which swarmed in the Devonian seas. A restoration of one of a leading order, the fringe-finned ganoids, is given in figure 301. The side fins, which correspond to the limbs of the higher vertebrates, are quite unlike those of most modern fishes. Their rays, instead of radiating from a common base, fringe a central lobe which contains a cartilaginous axis. The teeth of the Devonian ganoids show a complicated folded structure. General Characteristics of Devonian Fishes The notochord is persistent. The notochord is a continuous rod of cartilage, or gristle, which, in the embryological growth of vertebrate animals, supports the spinal nerve cord before the formation of the vertebrae. In most modern fishes, and in all higher vertebrates, the notochord is gradually removed as the bodies of the vertebrae are formed about it but in the Devonian fishes it persists through maturity and the vertebrae remain incomplete. The skeleton is cartilaginous. This also is an embryological characteristic. In the Devonian fishes, the vertebrae, as well as other parts of the skeleton, have not ossified or changed to bone but remain in their primitive cartilaginous condition. The tail fin is vertebrated. The backbone runs through the fin and is fringed above and below with its vertical rays. In some fishes with vertebrated tail fins, the fin is symmetric, and this seems to be the primitive type. In others, the tail fin is unsymmetric. The backbone runs into the upper lobe, leaving the two lobes of unequal size. In most modern fishes, the teleosts, the tail fin is not vertebrated. The spinal column ends in a broad plate to which the diverging fin rays are attached. But along with these embryonic characters, which were common to all Devonian fishes, there were other structures in certain groups which foreshadowed the higher structures of the land vertebrates which were yet to come. Air sacs, which were to develop into lungs, and cartilaginous axes in the side fins, which were a prophecy of limbs. The vertebrates had already advanced far enough to prove the superiority of their type of structure to all others. Their internal skeleton afforded the best attachment for muscles and enabled them to become the largest and most powerful creatures of the time. The central nervous system, with the predominance given to the ganglia at the fore end of the nerve cord, the brain, already endowed them with greater energy than the invertebrates. 
and still more important these structures contained the possibility of development into the more highly organized land vertebrates which were to rule the earth teleosts the great group of fishes called the teleosts or those with complete bony skeletons to which most modern fishes belong may be mentioned here although in the devonian they had not yet appeared the teleosts are a highly specialized type adapted most perfectly to their aquatic environment heavy armor has been discarded and reliance is placed instead on swiftness the skeleton is completely ossified and the notochord removed the vertebrae have been economically withdrawn from the tail and the cartilaginous access of the side fins has been found unnecessary the air sac has become a swim bladder in this complete specialization they have long since lost the possibility of evolving into higher types it is interesting to note that the modern teleos in their embryological growth pass through the stages which characterize the maturity of their devonian ancestors their skeleton is cartilaginous and their tail fin vertebrated end of section twenty four